Our text this morning is uh, from the gospel reading in Matthew 13. Um, would like to remind you of that final verse. It says, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. And this is our text. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You heard that treasure parable there. That's the first one up. We know about treasures a little bit. I mean, you probably have never actually found one, especially in a field somewhere that you had to dig up. But there are people that do that. Uh, I see that stuff on TV where there are actually guys going and looking for sunken treasures at sea and looking for stuff underneath the islands. And, uh, of course, you know, there have always been people trying to get treasure from pirates and all kinds of other silly stuff. And, and you can think you can probably understand why that is. I mean, they are things you can see that are very valuable. You can hold it in your hands and the whole world says, yep, that's valuable and I'll trade you for a bunch of money and we understand how that goes. But you know, also people have died trying to get those treasures. Uh, uh, people have died trying to keep those treasures and, uh, and it's not all good, this stuff. And, and yet here we have this in a parable. It's a treasure parable, sort of. I guess more uh, appropriately, you could call it a kingdom parable. That's what the seminary professors call these things. It says the kingdom of heaven is like something. Uh, and there's two of those here. Well, three of them, rather. And uh, uh, the treasure is there uh, in the first one. It actually kind of have a picture of a box that you can bury in the ground or whatever. And the other one is a very valuable pearl. Uh, and, and, you know, these treasures, anyone would want them. You can sort of understand why they would. They're meant to look like they're valuable, and I think that's appropriate. But uh, the big question becomes, what are you willing to do to have them? It's sort of implied that uh, you're supposed to give up anything to have them. Or at least that's what these people did. The guy that finds the treasure gives up everything. He sells it all and goes and buys the field where the treasure's hid. Uh, and the, the, per, uh, the pearl merchant, he goes and gives up everything and buys the, the, the fancy pearl that he found. I, it's hard to get the feeling that this is important. And these people that were with Jesus listening to this, his disciples, they, they have to think it's worth everything. If they're, if they're talking about... Uh, Jesus being the treasure, as we so often think that way, uh, then it seems rather obvious that Jesus is terribly important. In fact, if anything, it's eternally important. And you should give up everything and grab onto that with both hands, except there are some problems with that. There's risk involved. Um, I suppose the hearers then would at least think that God's things are worthy of the effort and, uh, and the risk. It's also sort of implied here. But would they do anything at all to have that is the big question. Of course, uh, if you just follow the story the rest of the way through Matthew, you find that uh, that last week of Jesus' life, <clears throat> they're looking at what Jesus is doing. They're not at all sure they want a piece of it. 
and they withdraw, uh, either just to watch or to lament or to crucify. And uh, so who helps him? Well, nobody. Who grabs onto him and holds onto him like he's the most valuable thing in the world? Well, nobody. So you get the impression, maybe, at least, that uh, somebody doesn't think he's the most important thing in the world, that treasure to grab onto. And if you follow that thinking out, you'd have to suppose that uh, the proper Christian way uh, is to give up everything else to have Jesus. You know that that's important. You might even want to do it. But I don't know anyone, even among Christians, that is capable of that kind of devotion. That it's give up everything. You, you know that maybe you should, but you can't. Because sin gets in the way. I mean, you know, you all have some of that. Uh, there's this temptation problem. They call it temptation because it's distracting. And it gets you to do stuff you're not supposed to do. Which, as it turns out, is the opposite of grabbing onto Jesus and hanging on and giving up everything. Because you couldn't give up the temptation, and there it is. There's fear. Because, you know, if you're going to give up everything to have something that is unseen, there, uh, there's risk in that because here you are in this world with obligations to the things that are in this world. You have families and you have uh, your own life to look after. You have work to do. You have happiness to guard for yourself and your loved ones. You have security and all of that. It's a lot harder to do if you give up everything and grab onto Jesus who is, as I said, unseen. Hard for you. Impossible, really, to do that. And that fear gets in the way. It causes you to hesitate. At, at best, <laughs> hesitate to devote so much to the unseen. And, and, it's, and it's an overwhelming problem because you can see the, the two things standing next to each other. I know, I know Jesus and I want Jesus, but then there's all this other stuff. A full measure of the risk to life as we know it is really just too horrifying to carry through with this thing, even if we want to. I'd say, if anything, that brings the third parable in where you're talking about some bad fish and some good fish, and you know we're probably more like the bad fish because of sin and temptation and loss and hesitation and inability to commit and all that stuff. It makes, it makes you look more like one of the bad fish that's damned and, and uh, that's not a good place to be. I would suppose that if you're like me, all of that kind of thinking makes you squirm a bit. But you need to look at what Jesus is doing here. When he is speaking these parables, it's not like he doesn't know who he's talking to. It's not like he doesn't understand the circumstances. He is fully aware that you could never be so ready to risk so much on your own. Because it's, it's unseen and you compare it to what is seen and it's just hard. Impossible. He knows. And because he knows... He did it himself. Everything that you're supposed to do here in the way of devotion and commitment and loss, everything that you're supposed to do and sacrifice, he did. He did for you. 
He did not see himself as the treasure or the pearl of great price. He sees you. He sees you. He gave up all of himself, all of his own will for survival and life, which any human being would do, and he was truly human. But he did this because it is his father's will to save you, to have you for his own, to be eternal with him. So Jesus gave his all. Even as he spoke these parables, he wants you to see that he considers you his treasure. He gave his all, his own life and sacrifice, all to have his treasure, you. To save you in forgiveness and in hope. You are his treasure. You are his pearl of great price. He gave up everything for you. And he reveals all this, kiss if you know, if you have trouble seeing where that happens, go to the cross. Go to the cross and see what he did. He shows his longing for his new treasure, which is you, by sacrificing himself that way, by putting up with torture and beatings and suffering and separation from his God to have you, his treasure. And, and not only the new treasure, which is you, but the old treasure, which is Israel, he died for them too. He is the master of his house. There's no question that Jesus is Lord. We confess this all the time. It's very important to us. But like anyone in the kingdom of heaven knows, and he, as it turns out, is in the kingdom of heaven, he brings out his treasure, you. He brings out his glory, you. He brings out his children, you. He brings out his bride of holiness, you. When you consider what your treasures really are, and I know that you do find some things terribly important, you should see what he thinks is important. See what he sees as his treasure. See Christ's love revealed in what he has done. And see also that it is not only for you. You'll see there, if you look carefully, that you are his church, the co-heirs of heaven, just as he designed it to be. But there are others that he died to keep before any of you were even born. And he wants them too. There are some before you, and there are some yet to come. All of that is his treasure. So you, you could see that he treasures you, that he treasures others, and then I would suppose that you should pay attention to what Jesus' treasure is and love them too. But he knows it's hard. So he forgives, and he gives his Holy Spirit, and he inspires, and he encourages in, in the sacraments that you share here, in the baptism that you've had to give you that confidence, in the, com the common uh, communion things that happen on this altar he, he does these things for you to be ready to value his treasure too. But more than anything, he wants you to see that that's you. I remember sitting in a meeting with a bunch of pastors one time, not too terribly long ago. I would tell you, you probably shouldn't do that because they're cranky. You know, pastors are like that. You've probably never seen me cranky because I'm so gloriously happy all the time. But uh, 
I also lie and I'm terribly modest, you know. So, but what I did is I, I asked him, we were talking about Nietzsche the philosopher, which is a weird thing to be talking to with pastors. And, uh, and uh, as it turned out, the conversation turned to what is the most important thing. So if you ask a bunch of pastors, I mean, they're like you in an awful lot of ways, except you're not as cranky as them. And, and um, you ask them what's the most important thing, and they're universally going to say God's the most important thing. Right? That's what you would say. But I wanted to cause them some trouble that day, so I said, so what do you think God thinks is the most important thing? Hmm? Because, you know, if you stand what you think is the most important thing and what God thinks is the most important thing, you, you might find out they're not the same thing, and God is the one who actually knows, and you're just sort of evaluating things on your own level. But what does God think is the most important thing? Well, God thinks that you're the most important thing. If you want to know how you know that, well, you look at what Jesus did. Jesus went to a cross to have you. So how does he think about it? God sent his son to give up his life, to shed his blood, to make that great sacrifice, to have you. So what does God think is the most important? Well, if you pay attention to that, you might suppose that you're the treasure. Which is a little confusing to pastors, as it turns out. But they didn't argue. But you are worth the shedding of that blood. You are worth Christ's life to Father in heaven. That's real treasure. That's real value. That's uh, hidden to some extent right now because, you know, Jesus did kind of put you back in the ground because you're not all that wonderfully glorious and not obviously treasure-looking things all the time. But, but for him you are, and he gave up everything to have that. He gave up everything to have you, his pearl of great price. That's value. That's treasure. That's given to you. That's you, the children of God, and his eternally because of what he has done, the way he sees you as his treasure. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.